my foot got trapped in it, and then I did like a backflip off of it and broke my foot. I think we were feeding our birds one time, and they never knew what the cave was haunted. But I found it and tried to give it to her, but she said no. It's time for the Apple Seed, where great stories can change your family's world. In every episode of the show, we bring you terrific stories from terrific storytellers. And we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. And when stories start conversations, well... That's what stories do. It's a pleasure to be joined here in the studio by uh, by the producers of The Appleseed, Dr. Brian Tanner, Dr. Heather Bigley. Guys, thanks for joining me. Hey, great to be here. Hello. And we're excited to do something uh, here on The Appleseed by way of review. We're looking forward in just a couple of weeks to taking a quick hiatus on The Appleseed of a few weeks to get season three all ready for you. We can't wait to share with you some of the things that we've got cooking for season three. But it's got us thinking about some of our favorites from season two of The Appleseed. And uh, we've invited Brian to bring a couple of his favorites to the table today as we begin a couple of weeks of uh, Appleseed memories of, of things that we loved from season two. Brian, what have you got for us today? Well, for this one, I'm reaching back to episode 12 of season two, and it's a little story called, say it with me, Bastianello. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so this, this is the story of Bastianello. Uh, it feels weird to just say it like that, Bastianello, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by Donna Washington. Um, and I brought it in for a couple of reasons. One is I just love Donna Washington. She's <laughs> one of my favorites. She just really draws in the audience, just just so colorful and so fun when she tells the stories. And you're, you're, you're going to think that this one is really fun. And I love the audience participation aspect of it. Uh, so, yeah, one of my favorites from this season. The terrific North Carolina storyteller Donna Washington recorded live in the Appleseed studio with a good old tale called Bastianello. Here it is on the Appleseed. How many of you have ever been in an argument with someone and said something you did not mean? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever gotten really upset with someone and said something you did not mean? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever gotten upset with a parent and said something you really should not have said? Yeah, it's a thing, right? You get really upset, your mouth opens, and something just sort of falls out. Well, this is a story about that. And it's also a story about love. Yeah, I know, I'm sorry. But it is. It's a story about love. And it's about the fact that sometimes you're going to argue with people, and it's okay. I first saw this story when I was at university. I went to Northwestern, and that's where I studied theater. But I got into storytelling there. And when I saw this story, I remembered a book I had when I was a kid. I love this story. It's called Bastianello. And the story goes like this. Now, there once was a tailor, and he was in love with the grocer's daughter. He would go in to buy his vegetables, and they would kind of giggle at each other. (laughs) And it just got to a point where he knew, he just knew he had to be with her all of his life. And he asked her to marry him, and she said, of course. (laughs) And then he asked the grocer, and the grocer said, what did she say? She said, okay, okay. So the wedding was to be had. Now, the tailor was a pretty well-to-do man. He had himself a nice home, and he had a very nice stocked wine cellar. And the festivities were happening at his house after the wedding. They were having the big feast. And while they were there, they ran out of wine. And so the tailor was going to get up and get some. And his new wife said, oh, no, no, I want to do it. I want to do it. He said, all right. He explained to her where the wine cellar was. And so she she took the pitcher and she went and she went to the, the door where the wine cellar was. And She opened the door and looked down. The stairs are really steep and narrow, she thought. Oh, my. (laughs) And she went down really, really carefully, and she got down at the bottom, and and there were all the casks of wine, and she put the pitcher beneath one of the casks, and she opened up, and wine started going into the pitcher, and she thought, I am so happy. 
I've married the tailor. He's a wonderful man. And what if, what if after a year, we have a son, Bastianello? But she didn't say it like that. She was so excited that she said, Bastianello. <laughs> Would you all say that with me? Here we go. Bastianello. Oh, he's going to be a wonderful boy. He'll grow to be a young boy, and I can just see him at the age of four. And what if one day he's playing at the top of these terrible stairs, and he falls down these terrible stairs and breaks his little arm? Ah! She starts crying down there in the wine cellar. Wine is running all over the floor. Well, she doesn't go back to the wedding. So the tailor says, well, let me go find her. And her mother says, oh, no, 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 I will go. Don't worry, don't worry. So she goes over and the door has closed. So she opens the door. <laughs> she goes down the stairs. Halfway down, she hears her daughter crying. She thought, oh, no. She goes down these terrible stairs. There is her daughter weeping, wine, running all over the floor. She said, did you fall? Are you okay? She said, oh, mother, it's terrible. What if after a year, the tailor and I have a son and we name him Bastianello? And what if one day he's playing at the top of these terrible stairs and he falls down and breaks his poor arm? And her mother said, that poor child. <laughs> and she starts crying, wine running all over the Up at the wedding, the tailor's getting a little nervous. The grocer said, oh, I'll go and find them. I'm sure they're fine. So the grocer comes, and of course, the door is closed, so he opens the door. Ooh. <laughs> he goes down the terrible stairs. Halfway down, he hears all this weeping and wailing. He thought, this is terrible. He gets down to the bottom. There's wine all over the floor. His wife and daughter are hugging each other, rocking back and forth. He says, what happened? And, and his wife said, oh, it's terrible. What if after our daughter and the grocer have been married for a year, they have a son and they named him Bastianello. And what if one day he's playing at the top of these terrible stairs and he falls down and breaks his arm? And he said, oh, that poor boy. <laughs> and he starts crying. All three of them sitting in the wine cellar, weeping their eyes out. Wine running all over them. Finally, the, the tailor's, excuse me, he goes, and he goes, now he's been going up and down these stairs since he's been about four years old. He opens her, eh, boom, 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 goes right down. There they are, screaming and holding on to each other. The first thing he does, shuts off the wine cask. <laughs> and then he says, what, what's going on? And the grocer said, oh, it's terrible. What if after you, my daughter, you, you've been married for a year, you have a son, and you name him Bastianello? And what if one day he's playing at the top of these terrible stairs, and he falls down and he breaks his arm? Let me see if I understand this properly. <laughs> the three of you are sitting down in my wine cellar, wasting wine, crying about something that did not happen? <laughs> is, that, is that what's happening here? <laughs> now, when you say it like that, it doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> he said, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. We're crying about our son. We don't have a son. But we could have a son, and if we do, we'll worry about it then. But then they all start yelling at each other. Because, you know, when you've done something and you feel a little foolish, you get a little defensive about it. And the person who thinks you've been really foolish, especially when he's upset that the wine is all over the floor, he might not be, well, desirous to be nice. <laughs> and the three of them, or the four of them, started yelling at each other. And it got louder and louder. And you know how when you're hearing people fight and you're not part of the fight, you kind of want to go, ooh. <laughs> but you know you shouldn't do that. And then the people at the wedding got kind of nervous and everyone just kind of left a little bit. And they came up the stairs still screaming at each other. And the tailor says, this is the most foolish thing I've ever heard of in my life. And his wife said, are you calling us fools? He said, no, but I should have. <laughs> and his mother said, 
Lemon's new mother-in-law said, we are not foolish. Yeah, yeah, you kind of are. You are foolish. In fact, you are probably the most foolish people in the world. And of course, the grocer said, we are not. And the tailor was so angry. He said, yeah, well, you are, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to go out in the world, and I'm not coming back until I find three people more foolish than you. And he ran out of the house and got his horse and took off. And he rode for about ten minutes and stopped. Because he had just left his own house. (laughs) And vowed he wasn't coming back. (laughs) Until he could find three really foolish people, more foolish than the people he just left. The easiest way to end an argument is to apologize. The hardest way to end an argument is to apologize. (laughs) He thought, I'm going to be out here forever. And he went on down the road. And he stopped and he heard. Bang. He went around the corner. A man came running out of his house with a spooch. Bang! He went to a well. He pulled up the bucket. Water was dribbling out of a big hole. He put the teaspoon underneath and got one teaspoon of water. He dropped the bucket. He ran back in the house. Bang! The tailor just watched this process three or four times. He said, excuse me, do you mind if I follow you? I don't care. I'm busy. He said, I can see that. The man took that teaspoon of water into the house. There was a huge pot on the stove. He dropped the teaspoon of water into the pot and went back out to the well. (laughs) The man looked in the pot. It was half filled with water, completely filled with potatoes. The man came back in. The tailor took the spoon out of his head. What are you doing? Just, Just hear me out for a second. What's happening here? The man said, I've got to fill up my pot. Uh, If I work at it all day, I'll be able to cook my potatoes tomorrow. (laughs) So the tailor said, watch this. He went outside. He got some straw. He broke it. He pulled the bucket up. The man said, where are you taking my bucket? You've already got my spoon. Just watch. He put the straw in the hold, cut it off, got some tar, made a plug, dropped the bucket in the water, pulled it up, took it into his house, and poured a bucket of water on the potatoes. The man was amazed. (laughs) He said, you've got to be the smartest man who ever lived. (laughs) The tailor handed him his spoon, went back, got his horse, and said, one. (laughs) He went down the road a little more hopeful. Then he heard... He came around the corner. There was a man in the middle of the road without any pants on. At the bottom of a tree, there was a pair of pants. The man climbed up the tree, angled his legs at the pants, and let go. Tied his pants back up and went back up the tree. Excuse me, don't bother me. I, I, trust me, I need to help you. <laughs> come, come down. In a minute. Shh, the tailor took his pants. Where are you taking my pants? Nowhere. Come here. He turned around. Put your leg in the pants. <laughs> he didn't. Put the other one in there. He did. He pulled it up. Man said, oh, Wow! My father taught me to put my pants on the other way. This is amazing. <laughs> the tailor said, I'm a professional. <laughs> he said, you're the most amazing man I've ever met. Thank you. You've changed my life. Off he walked. Two. <laughs> well, he might be home for dinner. He got on his horse. <laughs> and then he heard, the leg, the, the head, the, t- the, the head, the, 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 the legs. Big argument going on. He came around a bend, and there was the most ridiculous thing he'd ever seen. It was a wedding party. Everyone's kind of grumbling, but most of the people look terrible. All of the nice suits are wrinkled and dirty. All of the women, you know, when you like spray that bun on, it falls down, swinging back and forth. And everyone's clothes are wrinkled and everyone looks sad. There are three people having the loudest argument, and they're saying, the head, the legs, the head, the legs, the head, the legs. And someone said, tail, be quiet, the head, the legs. They were standing in front of a big arch. 
there was a very tall horse and a very tall girl. And it was clear that they couldn't fit easily under the arch because the horse was tall and the girl was tall. There were two grooms, the groom who'd married the woman and the groom who took care of the horse. And they were arguing. The heck, the legs, that. And so finally, the tailor, he just like, what is this? There's like 30 people here. He stopped, he said, excuse me, what's happening? And he said, we don't have time. I know you don't have time because clearly you're all very busy. (laughs) But what's going on? And the man who'd married the bride, the groom, said, look, in our village, when you get married, in order to have a good life, you must ride under this arch. But as you can see, this horse is too tall. We need to cut his legs off and drag him beneath the arch. (laughs) And the groom who took care of the horse said, you are not cutting my horse's legs off. The problem is this woman is too tall. If we cut off her head, she'll fit right under the arch. (laughs) And they went back to arguing. The head, the legs, the head, the legs. The tailor walked up to the lady and said, psst. She leaned over. He said, just keep bent over just like that. And he led the horse under the arch. And all 30 of the people jumped to their feet and began to applaud. He said, that's more than three. (laughs) He went home. And by that time, his poor wife was outside waiting for him. And they embraced each other. And everybody apologized. And they had a wonderful, wonderful supper because there was a lot of food left over because everyone left before it was completely consumed. (laughs) A year later, they had a son. And they named him Bastianello. But he never fell down the stairs because they kept the door closed. <laughs> Bastianello, a story told for you by the terrific North Carolina storyteller Donna Washington. She visited the Appleseed Studio along with her husband, Dave, and we had a great time, didn't we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure fun to spend time with Donna Washington and that story, Bastianello. There's a lot more coming up on the Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. <laughs> A moment ago, we heard Bastianello, a story recorded live in the Appleseed studio, told by the wonderful North Carolina storyteller Donna Washington. You know, it's such a fun story, just about people being absolutely ridiculous um, (laughs) and kind of catastrophizing things that haven't even happened yet. You know, that's a lot of fun. But there's this little nugget in the middle of it that she says that I really love. She says, the easiest way to end an argument is to apologize, Mm. but the hardest way to end an argument is to apologize. <laughs> I think I, I love that phrasing because both of those things are true. Yeah. I mean, all, all you got to do really is say, I'm sorry. And, yeah. you know, right. I, I won't do that again. But man, putting your pride aside sometimes can be really tricky. <laughs> it can be. And it's so it's so interesting that something, a, a, a nugget of wisdom like that can come from such a ridiculous story, right? Yeah. We look at some of these, we, we look at some of these folk tales that seem to us to be mostly fun and games or mostly just to kind of tickle our funny bone and in reality there's something down there isn't there yeah well a lot of it has to do with she's she's pulling from this whole tradition of storytelling from a certain culture and she's talking about young marrieds and i think uh all of us can look back and be like oh yeah uh (laughs) that uh coming in and coming into a marriage and having expectations and having ways that you've always behaved because your family's been very generous with you Uh and then that's not just gonna play right in in (laughs) this new situation you find yourself in yeah I remember when I got married, uh, I I came into work uh, just days after I was married, and uh, my boss said, so... Uh, have you figured out who makes the bed yet? <laughs> and and it, was, it was just a reminder that when you enter into a relationship like that, there are all kinds of things to right. to figure out, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, to negotiate. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's right. Well, this is uh, a little bit of a change of pace from that last story, <laughs> right? I call it a big change yeah. of pace, yeah. <laughs> Brian, uh-huh. Brian, tell us. 
So this comes from episode 14 of season two, um, and it's a piece about a middle grade novel called A Boy Called Bat. Mm. Uh, We had a chance to speak to the author. Her name is Alana K. Arnold. Um, And this is a really tender one for me uh, because it involves my own family. Mm. Uh, We'll set it up in the story, but basically it's a book that I read with my daughter um, about a boy with autism. And it's a really sensitive, beautifully rendered story that really puts you in his shoes to see how he sees the world. And I I enjoyed this book so much, I gave it to my sister. And when she got it, something really interesting happened in her family that you're, you're going to hear about in this story. Um, and I, I just love this story because it kind of encapsulates something that we're really trying to do on the apple seed, which is not just tell you stories, because uh, that's great. We all enjoy stories. <laughs> but also, we like to see, what do stories do? Yeah. You know, how can they change us? How can they change the way we act, we think? we feel we see the world and I think that we really see that in this story we're happy to bring it to you here A Boy Called Bat on the Appleseed The Appleseed is always interested in a good story but we're also interested in what can happen when a story is released out into the world a storyteller or author can't always predict the impact their story will have, for better or for worse, upon the people who hear it. And that's what we want to talk about right now, a story that has gone out into the world and helped families understand each other. Let's first meet the author. Hi there, my name is Elada K. Arnold. I am an author of books for and about children and teens. I write everything from picture books through Upper YA. And um, one of my core beliefs as a writer in my journey of making books is that children are whole people and they deserve great art. And I'm probably best known for the book we're going to discuss today, uh, A Boy Called Bat and its sequels. That book, A Boy Called Bat, is the story that we want to talk about for a moment. It's about, it's a boy who goes by the nickname Bat. And he has a lot of experiences that are common to a lot of kids in elementary school. He's in third grade. He's got an older sister named Janie who often annoys him. He has a deep desire for friendship with his peers. But something that makes Bat fairly unique in children's literature is that he is on the autism spectrum. Now, the book is written from Bat's perspective, and it allows us to see the world the way he experiences it which can be a new experience for kids who are not on the spectrum. It's important to me that A Boy Called Bat is, you know, a window book for kids who are neurotypical to see, you know, people that they love or people they don't love (laughs) in their classroom. The first book in the Boy Called Bat series was published in 2017. And in the years since then, the author says she still receives a few emails every week from teachers, parents, and kids themselves to thank her for putting down Bat's tale in a book. And she has some remarkable memories about the way the story has helped both children and adults open up conversations about autism. Uh, One of the stories that really spoke to me was there was a a teacher who wrote to me and told me that she had chosen to share a boy called Bat as a a classroom read aloud. Um, And uh, one of the kids in the class was diagnosed with autism, but he didn't know it. The teacher knew it and the parents knew it, but they hadn't disclosed it to their son. And after she finished reading the book, uh, the kid went up to the teacher and asked if he could borrow the book and take it home. And when he did, he took it home and he gave it to his parents. And he said, here, this is me. Like, this this is my brain. This is how I think. Now, that's an example of a child with autism learning more about himself. But Elana says that she has heard from many parents telling her that this book has helped build bridges between their autistic and neurotypical children. In fact, it was a story like that that first brought a boy called Bat to our attention here on The Appleseed. Our producer, Brian Tanner, read the book with his daughter and decided to share it with his sister, Amy, who has a son with autism. We brought Amy into the studio along with her kids, Jack. Are we? Wait, hold on. Is it like doing it right now? (laughs) Jack is 11 and on the autism spectrum. And Claire. Uh, Aren't you guys recording it like later? I'm not going to actually be on it. (laughs) Claire is eight. 
and they all came to talk about their experiences reading the book. I decided at first to not really explain what it was. We just started to read it. And once we got into the story and I could see what it was and that it was a helpful tool, I started to say, okay, did you guys know that this boy has autism? And so then we started to point out things about autism um, that were we were seeing in the book. Now, Amy and her family had been talking openly about autism in their house long before a boy called Bat came into their lives. It's something they've talked about around the dinner table, on social media, and even on a blog that Amy started to help other parents of children with autism. Now, Claire had been present as the family talked about Jack and autism, but as the youngest child, her experience was different than that of her older siblings. She has grown up with Jack, and she knows, you know, who he is. She, um, His older siblings kind of saw the questioning, like what is going on with him and, and the testing and then the diagnosis and stuff. But for Claire... She just knows him as he is. So they're reading along in the book, and they see that the main character, Bat, flaps his arms when he's excited, and also that he's very particular about what kind of yogurt he likes. And he has an impressive amount of knowledge about animals, just like his mom. One day, a mom says, like, Mom, who, whose job is a veterinarian, um came home with the with a baby skunk and then bat suddenly was like what's this okay now this is happening much of the book involves bat learning how to care for the baby skunk and developing a strong bond with it and jack and claire are invested in the story and it gives them ample opportunities to talk about autism a little ways into the book I was driving with Claire, my eight-year-old. I think she was seven then. And I said, hey, do you remember Jack's Old School? It's for kids with autism. And she stopped and she said, wait, Jack has autism? Like Uh bat? And I said, yeah, he does. Like Hmm. bat. And I hadn't realized, like we use the word autism all the time, but we had never like explicitly said to her Your brother has autism, and this is what it means. So Amy has this kind of potent experience with the book. She realizes something about Claire that she had not imagined. I didn't realize that she didn't know. That was an eye-opening experience for Amy. She had assumed that little Claire knew what everyone else in the family knew because they talked about it so frequently as a family. But it hadn't clicked for Claire not until she came across a story that helped her imagine what it would be like to be a child with autism. And so this book opened up this whole new conversation where she could understand it because she was seeing it through Bat's eyes and Bat's sister's eyes. So this book uh, was incredibly helpful for us to open up that conversation to really understand her brother. We asked Claire what she thought of the books and how they had helped her. These books are amazing, you know, like, it makes people know how, like, this autism thing works. We told the story of how Claire had come to understand her brother Jack better through A Boy Called Bat to the author of the story, Alana K. Arnold, and she was touched. I am very, very grateful whenever anyone reaches out to me to tell me that it's uh, the book has been meaningful um, for their family. And because we knew that we were going to have a conversation with the author of A Boy Called Bat, we asked Jack if there's anything he would like to tell her if he could. And we got a kick out of Jack's response. Uh, I think we should say, like, okay, I bought I bought your whole series. Are you happy now? <laughs> we played the audio of Jack's response for Elana K. Arnold when we spoke with her. And Elana was delighted. She had, perhaps, even more in her response than Jack might have hoped for. 
<laughs> Jack, I am happy but not satisfied. I have a number of other titles that you perhaps would enjoy as well. Uh, so, uh, yes, thank you, Jack, for buying this book. That's the response from a dedicated storyteller, one for whom the responses to stories like A Boy Called Bat make it worthwhile to start more conversations with more families and more kids about things worth talking about. Elana K. Arnold understands what you may understand too, and what the Appleseed believes with all its heart. It's something we say in just about every episode of the show, that great stories can help us make sense of the world and communicate with the people who are important to you. A piece that we produced uh, surrounding the book, A Boy Called Bat. And uh, Brian, thanks for bringing that to us. Yeah, that, that was fun to go go listen to that again because it really was a very special thing. Like to, to know that a, a book like this could bring my niece and nephew closer together and help them understand each other better. I think that's really extraordinary when uh, when a story can do that. And I think it speaks to the power of stories. You know? we, we talk a lot on the show about how we hope that the stories that we bring to, to the Appleseed spark conversations. Yeah. And this was just a really great look at just that thing. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. what a nice thing for the conversation that the book sparked to come back to the attention of the of the person who made the story. Yeah. So I love uh-huh. that about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, and as an epilogue to this, um, I, I read the whole series of bat books with my daughter Anya, and she really loved them. And and now she has a favorite genre of stories, and she calls it books about people that are different than me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we finish up one book and we're like, what should we read next? She's like, how about a book about someone who's different than me? You know, right. so like a recent one that she loved, it was called insignificant events in the life of a cactus. Mm. Um, And it's about a girl who's born with no arms um, and also her friend who has Tourette's syndrome. And so it's it's about... Yes, it's about, you know, having a disability and what it's like to to go through the world that way. But it's just about these people as characters and we get to know them and, you, you know, see their... Even though they may look different than us or face different challenges, they, they're they the same as us, you know? Right. And um, we're reading right now the book Wonder, which is a very well-known middle-grade novel um, and it, it, about a boy who encounters a lot of difficulty socially because his face—he uh, has various syndromes and uh, is born with some— differences that cause people to react to him <laughs> yeah. um, poorly sometimes. And whenever we read these books, my daughter it just always says, she, she will just kind of editorialize from time to time saying, you know, just because these people are different <laughs> doesn't mean that we should treat them badly and we should love everyone. You know, and when <laughs> I hear her say that, my heart just melts. And I love that stories can do that for us. And it occurs to me that if you had a, a a category of books that was books about people who are in some ways like me. It yeah. might contain the same books. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I I think to I think some of us run away from books that are didactic in nature. Yeah, uh, maybe depending on what the didacticism is centered on. But I think uh, what a lovely thing that we can hand down wisdom uh, in a simple way to people. To, to the to these children who are learning how to treat each other. So Right. Well, it was a pleasure. And there's a lot more coming up on the Appleseed. Stick around for some old-time radio drama that will tickle your fancy like it tickled ours. I'm Sam Payne. A moment ago, we spent some time with the book A Boy Called Bat in conversation with Brian Tanner and Heather Bigley, our producers. Uh, We've got one more thing for you this hour that we're kind of excited about. Brian, tell us about it. All right. This one comes from episode 17. And one of the things that we do here on the Apple Seat sometimes that I think is really fun is we go back into the past, into the (laughs) golden age of radio, and we grab some (laughs) radio dramas. You know, people used to gather their families around the radio set and listen. And it's kind of fun to go back and revisit. So this was my favorite one of the year that we did. It's from a show called The Life of Riley, and this episode is called Riley the Rent Collector. (laughs) Riley the Rent Collector, an old-time radio piece here on the Appleseed. (laughs) 
The early days of television are full of hit shows like Father Knows Best, Dragnet, The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. Those are all shows that started out as radio shows and then made the leap to the small screen. And today on The Appleseed, we're going to bring you a taste of another show that did the same thing. And it's maybe one you haven't heard of, but you'll be glad you did. The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix as Riley. The Life of Riley. It had quite a few incarnations over its lifetime as a show. It began as a radio program taped before a live audience for, oh, seven years, between 1944 and 1951. And then it was adapted into a movie in 1949. And then it was made into two different TV shows, lasting a total of seven seasons. And it was even made into a comic book in 1958. The show stars William Bendix as Chester A. Riley, better known as just plain old Riley. He's kind of a salt-of-the-earth factory worker from Brooklyn. And like many sitcom dads that would follow in the wake of shows like The Life of Riley, Riley is a bit bumbling and slow, but he's got a good heart and his decency wins out at the end of the day, or tends to. Paula Winslow plays Riley's long-suffering wife, Peg, and her voice might be a little bit familiar to you, especially if you've seen the movie Bambi. She plays the voice of Bambi's mother, and she also plays Jane, the mom on the Jetsons. Remember that cartoon? And rounding out the cast is a guy named John Brown, a British actor who here puts on a thick Brooklyn accent to play Gillis. Riley's best friend and occasional frenemy. That was a thing way back in 1944. Part of what audiences loved about the Riley family is that they weren't well off, really. They had relatable money troubles. And as the narrator will inform us this week, we'll get a kind of showdown between Riley and Mr. Dawson, the rent collector. On the first of every month, Chester A. Riley's little stucco bungalow is transformed into a virtually impregnable fortress. For this is the day the rent collector comes for the rent. Riley has mobilized the family and stands ready to repel the enemy from his gates. His wife, Peg, however, seems to be a conscientious objector. Riley, this is absolutely crazy. I know what I'm doing, Peg Junior. Did you nail the front gate? Yeah, Pop. Good. But that won't stop him. He'll jump over it. Well, then he'd have to go through the sprinklers. Junior, did you turn him on? Yes, Pop. Full force? Yep. Great. By the time Dawson gets to the front door, he'll be soaking wet, and I'll keep him out there so long he'll freeze. (laughs) It's a regular obstacle course just to get to the front door. But just wait. Riley's got another trick up his sleeve should Mr. Dawson penetrate his defenses. Come on, laddie. Come on, boy. Uh Well, (laughs) what are you doing with Mr. Shellmeyer's great dame? Laddie is my secret weapon. When I let him loose on Mr. Dawson... He'll never show up here again. Oh, right. You ought to have your head examined. Why, Laddie's the gentlest dog in the world. He wouldn't hurt a fly. (laughs) All the kids in the neighborhood play with him. He couldn't scare anybody. He couldn't before, but I've been training him. Watch, I'll show you. Now, hold him tight, Junior. I got him. Uh, Gentle, huh? Now, watch. Now, let's say that I'm Dawson, and I come in and I say, I've come for the rent. <laughs> down, laddie. Down, laddie. Take it easy, hold boy. Him, hold him, Junior. Down, laddie. Down, laddie. Down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for training? The minute he hears the word R-E-N-T, he's a killer. Pop, there's Dawson at the gate. Now, okay, battle stations, everybody. This is it. Riley, will you let that man in here? No, my head is made up. Open this gate, Riley Don't say a word He's looking for the latch He don't know I got it nailed (laughs) Dumb cluck Some dumb cluck He just took out a claw hammer And he's pulling out the nails Well, never mind The sprinkler will stop him Riley, turn off these sprinklers I told you He didn't want to get wet And spoil that nice suit Look, look He's going back to the car He's going away He is not He's putting on a raincoat and rubber boots. <laughs> That's not fair. He's cheating. Here he comes. Open up, Riley. I know you're in there. Don't make a sound. Come on, Riley. Open up. 
Don't say a word. He's trying to trap us. Nobody's home! <laughs> he, he's running away, Pop. Uh, what did I tell you? I knew I'd outsmart him. Anybody can be a landlord, but it takes brains to be a tenant. <laughs> oh, did I put one over on him, or did I put one over on him? <laughs> Good morning, Riley. Huh? How did you get in, Dawson? Your back door was wide open. Uh, you sure put one over on him. Yeah, well, okay, Junior, let me hold Laddie now. <laughs> okay, Dawson. What do you want? You know what I want. How should I know? I've come for the money. What money? The money you owe. For what? For this month. <laughs> for this month's what? And not only this month, last month's too. <laughs> last month's what? Last month's money. Money for what? For living in this house. <laughs> Now, stop stalling, Riley. I've, I've stood all I'm going to stand from you. Are you going to pay up? Pay what? Okay, Riley, I don't like to get tough with people. I was willing to give you a break, but you leave me no alternative. Here. Uh, what's that? An eviction notice. Sorry. Good day. Huh? Well, Mr. Dawson, wait, wait. Don't... Thank you. You, you take care of this. Well... You really did it this time, didn't you? I warned you not to antagonize him, but you wouldn't listen. Oh, you know everything, my big genius. Well, it's not my fault. It would have worked out fine. Only that clug Dawson was too dumb to say I've come for the rent. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Down, down. Down, laddie. Get him off me. Give me one good reason why. Oh, stop it, laddie. Oh, oh laddie, get down. An eviction notice? Oh, no, Riley, you've really done it this time. But audiences loved Riley's craftiness and his famous phrase, the phrase he'd utter when he got himself into a heap of trouble. What a revolting development this is! <laughs> that became one of the most popular catchphrases of the day. So, back to the story. With the eviction notice in hand, Riley goes to his landlord, Mr. Morris, and pleads for mercy. And it seems that Mr. Morris is in a bit of a jam himself. He suspects that his rent collector, Mr. Dawson, has been racking up bogus charges on his expense account. After all, he was charging Mr. Morris for such ridiculous items as a claw hammer and some rain gear. So Mr. Dawson has been fired. And who will collect the rent now? Well, wait a minute, says Mr. Morris. Riley is pretty popular with his neighbors, right? Maybe Riley could use his friendships with the other tenants to do the rent-collecting job. Well, Mr. Morris agrees to drop the eviction notice and forget about the missed rent payments if Riley will take the rent-collecting job. Well, Riley enthusiastically agrees. Who wouldn't? And he heads out to collect some rent checks. Oh, come on to the movies. First, I gotta collect some rent. Morris expects it tomorrow. Yeah, I'll go in here and see Gillis. I won't have no trouble with Gillis. Oh, we'll be late. That one will only take a minute. Gillis, I can handle. He's my friend, my best friend. What do you want, stranger? Oh, uh, hiya, Jim. I was just going to ring. Don't bother wasting my electricity and get the heck off of my property. Well, Jimmy boy, it's me, Riley boy, your pal. Let me in, will you? Yeah, yeah that's better. Oh, oh and here's Laddie boy. Wait a minute. <laughs> Look, Riley, you want something? Ask for it. If not, blow. I want the money. What money? The money for the... <laughs> I want the money. Money for what? All you gotta do is ask for it. Okay, wise guy, you think you're smart? I will ask for it. I've come for the R-E-N-T. Who's been sending his dog to school? Well, there you have it. Even Riley's best friend, Gillis, has turned on him. And it's not just Riley that's getting the cold shoulder from the neighbors. It's affecting their whole family. 
They're being uninvited to parties. Friends are pretending to have pneumonia to duck out of a visit with them. And the neighborhood kids have given poor Junior the nickname Stinky, and they refuse to play with him. And the landlord, Mr. Morris, has run out of patience with Riley's inability to collect rent from anyone. And he gives Riley an ultimatum. He has to evict one family by the end of the day. And that thought makes Riley feel sick, but... He's in such a financial hole that he feels like he can't refuse. But whom to evict? His best buddy Gillis, the Richards, who just had a new baby, the Shellmeyers with a new litter of puppies? Well, Riley has a tough choice to make. He heads off into the night alone to deliver the eviction notice. Peg has been against Riley's rent-collecting job from the start, it should be said. And when word gets back to her that he's going to evict one of their neighbors, she rushes all over town to find him. So let's jump back into the story as Peg finally catches up with Riley after finding out that he has gone through with an eviction. Wait a minute. But look at that. Look at that crowd over there. Oh, they're waiting for you. You better get police protection. Now, Peg, I had to do it, you see? Oh, look at that furniture all over the sidewalk. How would you feel if you came home and found your furniture all over the sidewalk like that? Well, whose furniture do you think it is? (laughs) What? Why, Riley, it's our furniture. (laughs) That's what I was trying to tell you. (laughs) I evicted us. But Digger O'Dell said that the Shellmeyers... Yeah, I know, but I I couldn't do it to them. They're our friends. I I was afraid to tell you, Peg, you see, somebody had to be evicted, and we're the only ones I had the heart to do it to. (laughs) Don't hate me, Peg. I I know I'm a jerk, but... but, uh... You certainly are. You're the sweetest jerk. Oh, Peg. When I least expected, you say the nicest things to me. I'm so glad you ain't mad. Well, I... I'm not overjoyed at being out on the sidewalk, but what else could you have done? Well, Riley did the noble thing, evicted himself. His moral compass and his marriage are both intact, but what is his family going to do now? Wait, hold on. Is that Riley's old pal, Gillis, coming over? There he is, fellas. Hey, Riley. Now, 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 listen, Gillis. I got enough trouble. Get off my property. I mean, get off my piece of sidewalk. <laughs> Riley, boy, it's me, Jimsy boy, your pal. I got the gang together to help you move the furniture back in the house. Huh? Uh, but, but the eviction... Forget you... it. Your rent's paid. When we heard how you took the rap, a bunch of us chipped in, and we squared it with Mars. Okay, fellas, lend a hand here what I find. Oh, gee, fellas, that was... Gee, Peg, did you hear what they... Oh, well, Peg, we got our home back again. I may not be the handsomest husband in the world or the brainiest, but there's one thing you've got to admit. With me, you've got security. At least for the next 30 days. <laughs> and just like that, Gillis and the neighbors come together. It's a wonderful lifestyle to keep Riley and family in their home and all is well. But that's not quite the end of the story. There are a few loose threads hanging, like who's collecting the rent now that Riley is out of that job? And will Riley be up to his old tricks when the new rent collector comes by? The episode ends with a little tag that wraps those mysteries up. I, uh, I wonder who Morris got to be his new rent collector. Well, what's the difference who it is? We have the rent, thank heaven. Just pay it and don't make any yeah, trouble. I'll pay it, I'll pay it. But first, I'm going to put up a fight. Come in! Hello, Mr. Riley. <laughs> I'm the new rent collector. I've come for your rent. Huh? Oh, yeah. Here it is. It's a pleasure. Thank you. See you the first of next month. Don't be late. 
certainly put up a big fight. <laughs> oh, Riley. Such a character. Sometime soon, when you're sitting down to stream an old favorite family sitcom, you may recognize descendants of Riley. Guys who are kind of like that character and may have their roots in the life of Riley, whether it's Phil Dunphy from Modern Family, Tim the Toolman Taylor, even Homer Simpson. Those guys who can all be a little bit dopey, but they've got good hearts and they'll do the right thing in the end. That all goes back to those old shows like The Life of Riley. Thanks for joining us for a bit of radio storytelling history. <laughs> Riley the Red Collector. Uh, the, that feels like heritage to me, right? Especially for <laughs> us, right? As we build all kinds of, you know, uh, uh, radio dramas of our own. Yeah. It's great fun for me to look back at this uh, part of our American listening history. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's a lot of fun for me. But it's also like a universal experience. Um, anyone who's like become the hall monitor at school, right? Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly experiences what Riley has yeah. experienced. So yeah. I just think that's so interesting, that changing dynamic and how are, are you still friends? Yeah. I thought we were friends. Mm, we might not be friends Did everything anymore. change forever when I took this job? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mentioned earlier that this came from an episode where we were talking about getting new jobs. Yeah. And as I was thinking back about season two, I guess I was thinking about my new job <laughs> that I got. Because <laughs> I began working on The Appleseed as a producer at yeah. the beginning of season two. And like Riley, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, <laughs> You know, I'd, I'd come from doing marketing. I've mentioned that I've been an opera singer. You know, yeah. I've done all these creative adjacent things, but I had never been a radio producer myself. And so here I am looking back on season two, and I just feel really blessed and fortunate to have been in this position because this is just a, such a wonderful show to work on. And I feel so grateful to all the listeners, you know, oh, and yeah. when you guys send us emails and say that you enjoy the show and you give us feedback, that just makes me feel so happy. So thanks to... All you listeners out there for making this a great first year on a new job for me. <laughs> for sure. The Appleseed family is a terrific family to be part of, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's fun to listen to a show like that. And like Heather said, it does bring back every every time that I in my life have taken on a paper route or you know, or or, or, or taken on a new a new venture of, of really any size at any stage in my life, you know? Yeah. Riley the Rent Collector, an old-time radio drama and a pleasure for us to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. It's been a pleasure for us to spend some time with A Boy Called Bat, not only the wonderful book, but also our conversation with members of Brian's family, of course, the author of that book as well. And, of course, at the top of the hour, we heard uh, Bas Chanello, a story told for us by the wonderful North Carolina storyteller Donna Washington. We're kind of in this mode of remembering some of the things that we loved from season two because we're preparing to bring you season three of The Appleseed in just a few weeks. We're going to spend a couple of weeks remembering, then we'll take a brief hiatus, and then we'll be back with season three. All kinds of great stuff prepared for season three, and we hope you'll join us. Thanks for joining us here today on The Appleseed. And Brian and Heather, thank you for joining me here in the studio. Yeah, thank you, Sam. I'm Sam Payne.